No one can snatch you from his hand. Let's turn back to Romans. We are in chapter 8, looking at part 2 of the two-part series, two-part sermons section. Uh, I started a couple of weeks ago with the first part. I'm going to read from 18 to 25, and then we're going to focus on 23 to 25. And that would be uh, our groaning. We've talked about creation's groaning. We've talked about the fact that all the suffering of this present time is not worthy to be compared to the glory that is coming, that will be revealed to us. And we'll, we'll make that, we'll see how the scripture makes that personal as we look into 23 to 25. But verse 18, this is God's word. For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed to us. For the creation waits with eager longing for the revelation of the sons of God. For the creation was subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it in hope. That the creation itself will be set free from its bondage to corruption and obtain the freedom of the glory of the children of God. It will be glorified too. For we know that the whole creation has been groaning together in the pains of childbirth until now. And not only the creation, but we ourselves, who have the first fruits of the Spirit, groan inwardly as we wait for the adoption as sons, the redemption of our bodies. For in this hope we were saved. Now hope that is seen is not hope for who hopes for what he sees. But if we hope for what we do not see, we wait for it with patience. Thus far God's word. Let's pray together. Lord, this is your word. Your spirit must apply your word. So help me to preach your word in the power of your spirit. Teach us your word. Apply your word to our hearts that we might come to faith in Jesus, that we might be delivered from our backsliding, that we might be grown in grace. You know what each heart needs. You know what you have purposed. So we bow before you, confessing this to be the very word of God and praying, Christ, that you might speak to your people in a living voice through it. We trust you. We know that your word never returns to you void. So cleanse us from our sin, fill us with your spirit and be at work powerfully in us with this word of God. We give you all the praise for it and we ask for it and we depend upon it in the holy name of Jesus. Amen. Under construction, you are under construction. And God is the builder. Your salvation is not complete yet. You say, wait a minute. You're constantly telling us that it is finished. 
Yes, I do say that. But we need to know what we're talking about when we say things like that. Your salvation has been fully purchased by Christ. The redemption is purchased, fully paid for. There's nothing left to pay. Christ paid for our redemption. He lived a perfect sinless life under His own law and kept it in thought, word, and deed and deserved only blessing. He went to that cross not as a victim but as a lamb who would pay the penalty for His, sin, his people's sins. So through His death and through the, the wrath that was poured out upon Him, the wrath that we deserve, and Him drinking that cup dry, He did say from the cross, it is finished. It is to tell us that I paid in full. And through His resurrection, He demonstrated that fact, proving that gospel to be true. So you as a child of God, and I'm speaking of those who are trusting in Him, you are forgiven and cleansed from all of your sin. Your record before the judgment bar of God is not your sin because Christ paid for that on the cross. But it's not just being cleansed. His righteousness has been imputed to you so that on that record, before that judgment bar of God, it reads righteous, holy, pure, because Jesus' righteousness has been given to you and is now your record. You have been justified, therefore, pardoned for all of your sins, accepted as righteous through the righteousness of Christ that had been imputed to you, and that is through faith alone. We don't earn it. We are dead in our trespasses and sins. The gospel comes into our life. We're suddenly realizing we are sinners who need a Savior and that Christ is that Savior. And we turn and we trust in Christ and Christ alone. And therefore we're united to Him, justified in Him, and it is finished as far as our being reconciled to God. We're adopted into the family of God. And one day we'll be glorified. The creation will participate in that glory, that glorification. When Christ returns, we will be like Him. Pure and holy. And that's all by grace. But presently, you are being sanctified. You're not glorified yet. You are presently under construction. Maybe we need t-shirts that say, under construction. The power of sin over you has been broken. If you're in Christ, you're being transformed into the image of Christ. But God has not finished His work of grace in you yet. See, we live between the already and the not yet. We live between the resurrection of Christ and the return of Christ. And in our own lives, we live between being justified and glorified. We inhabit that space of being sanctified, what we call growth. In grace. We are, present, we are presently in a place where we yearn for more. We yearn for more. So today I want to talk to you about this text and about what it tells you about your future and how to wait well for that future. And, and uh, we've seen in Romans that we, uh, if you've not been with us through the study, you can go back and read. We've seen Paul uh, make the case that Jew and Gentile are all sinners who need a Savior, that Christ is that Savior, that through faith in Christ we are justified, and now we are being sanctified. 
We were united to him in his death, burial, and resurrection. We have the power of the Holy Spirit that we might grow in joyfully obeying him. And one day that work will be finished. And today we're up into chapter 8. We've talked about the, the glory to be revealed will dwarf any suffering we have in this life. It doesn't belittle our suffering. Our suffering is hard. It's big. It's huge sometimes in our lives. But the glory to come is so great that it will not be worthy to be compared. And then he started breaking that out with the creation's groan. And we've talked about the groaning of creation. That's the non-human creation, the outside of us creation. And we've already talked about that, so I'll point you back to those sermons. And then today we're going to talk about our groaning, human groaning. Listen to me, Christian groaning. We're talking about Christian groaning this morning. And that, that delineation will become clear as we look at it. But the main point is simple. A sure hope of future glory enables us to groan eagerly in the present. See, God doesn't promise to do what we all want Him to do, is take all of our groaning away. That's going to happen when we're glorified in the new heavens and the new earth. But He makes our groaning productive that we might grow in grace. And we have a sure hope as a foundation to, to grow in grace while we're here. So a sure hope of future glory, which is ours in Christ, enables us to groan eagerly in the presence. Look back at verse 23. We'll look at, we groan eagerly for full redemption. Not only the creation, but we ourselves. He's talking about believers here. We ourselves who have the first fruits of the Spirit First fruits of the Spirit. That sounds like we have part of the Spirit, doesn't it? But that's really not what this is communicating. This is communicating, it, you could translate it like this, and some translations do. First fruits, comma, namely the Spirit. We have the Holy Spirit. The Spirit's power has been given that we might wait well and grow in grace. The Spirit is the, is the down payment. It's the first part. It's the earnest of our redemption. The Holy Spirit, having the Holy Spirit is the guarantee that God will finish the work. The first fruits of His work is giving you the Holy Spirit. And we have that Spirit as a guarantee that He will finish the work. We've seen that in Ephesians before, that He'll finish the work in His people because we have the Holy Spirit and we'll see what the Holy Spirit does in us as relating to this text this morning. Look what it says. We ourselves who have the first fruits of the Spirit groan inwardly as we wait eagerly for adoption as sons. We groan inwardly. This is, this is not even in words. It's just this groan, this desire, this, this, this yearning I've already talked about, this dissatisfaction, yearning for the perfection that will come. We groan inwardly as we wait eagerly. So you see the faith is in there. We wait eagerly. We're on tiptoes looking. We're waiting for that fullness of the redemption that has been promised to us. So we're groaning but waiting eagerly for adoption as sons. And you say, you just told me we were already adopted. 
Yes, and thankfully Paul uses a comma here to tell us what he's talking about in this, in this portion. He says, we groan inwardly as we wait eagerly for adoptions. This is what I'm talking about, the completion of our redemption, basically. He says, the redemption of our bodies. We presently are in groaning, yearning, situation. We're, we're groaning in faith. We're waiting eagerly for the completion of the work of redemption that has been promised. The redemption of our bodies. Let's look at a couple of parallel texts that might, might help us some with this. One is 2 Corinthians 5, 2 to 5. It says this, For in this tent, this, this tent, this body, that's what it's talking about. Sometimes the scripture says house. is this body in this dwelling place. In this tent we groan. What do you, why do we groan, Paul? Now look what he says. We just groan because life is hard. We're just grumpy and dissatisfied. This is not justifying any of that. Look at that. We groan. Why do we groan? Longing to put on our heavenly dwelling. If you're satisfied in this world, if you're satisfied with life here, that's a really bad sign. This is not our home. We are passing through. We're looking to God and His Word to show us. And there's a great promise for us. It's that glory that is coming. We long, therefore, to see that happen. We've seen it happen in Christ. Death, burial, resurrection as the first fruits of our resurrection. We've seen Him as the first fruit of our resurrection, grant get that new body that we hope for. Longing to put on our heavenly dwelling. If indeed by putting it on we may not be found naked, but for, we are, we, for while we are still in this tent, we groan being burdened, not that we would be unclothed, but that we would be further clothed. So that, what do you mean? So that the, what is mortal may be swallowed up by life. He who has, now watch this. He who has prepared us for this very thing is God who has given us His Spirit. See, it's explaining that first fruits as a guarantee. That promise there. We're, we're looking forward. We're looking forward to everything that is mortal being transformed and to us dwelling in the situation of immortality which has been brought to light through the gospel. What does God promise us if we have faith in Jesus? He promises us eternal life which begins in seed form here. We know that our spirits, we are new creations who dwell still in a fallen body. We've talked about that, and you can go back to some of the, the, the previous sermons. But we've been given the Spirit as a guarantee so that we can groan in hope and grow in hope. The Spirit is a guarantee. We long to put on that heavenly dwelling. So notice this. It is because we have the Holy Spirit that we groan. So that'll kind of help us define the kind of groaning he's talking about. This is not just dissatisfaction with pain and stuff that happens in this world. Right? This is a looking beyond that and a hope for the new that is coming. 
Because we have the Holy Spirit, we're grown. Because we have the Holy Spirit, we are dissatisfied with life in this world. Listen to me. Because we have the Holy Spirit, we want more and better. We want holy. We want to be holy and live in the midst of holy and be set free from the misery of mortality here. Because He has promised that that is what He's doing. We groan. So then we groan because we continue to sin. Don't we? If you can't say yes to that, you don't understand. Because not to sin is to keep God's law in thought, word, and deed perfectly. To always think the wrong thing and never think the right thing. I can stop there, can I? Aren't you glad you have a Savior whose blood cleanses you from all of your sin, whose righteous record is yours before the throne of God, and who is committed to never giving up on you and transforming you into the image of Jesus? We groan because we continue to sin. Listen, if you're not not convicted about your sin, you probably don't know Jesus, okay? And that's not a good sign. If you can enjoy life in rebellion against God, that means you've been given over. And it's not a good sign. It's nothing to brag about. Well, I don't feel like I need a Savior. I really don't care how you feel. Because I know that you do. And if you're dead in your trespasses and sins and your heart is so hard you can't feel it, don't go bragging about that. There'll be a day when you regret it. We groan because we have the Spirit in us. Therefore, we groan because we continue to sin. What did Paul say in chapter 7 of Romans? Oh, satisfied man that I am. Oh, wretched man that I am. Who will deliver me from this body of death? And he didn't say, I will. Praise be to God, Jesus Christ will. See, we, we groan because we continue to sin. We, we groan because we don't fully glorify God. We struggle to obey, don't we? We groan because we struggle to obey. We groan because we struggle to believe sometimes. Oh, come on. Listen, let's be real with one another. God's given us all faith, but He's not given any of us a perfect faith. And some of the times I've grown the most were in the times when I was doubting and having to dig and having to search. But sometimes we struggle to believe. And sometimes hardships come into our life that want to challenge us that way. And we know the Word tells us they test our faith. We groan because we age. That's all I'll say about that. We groan because of sickness. We groan because of broken relationships. We groan because death surrounds us in this world. We groan because of wicked rulers and a wicked system of the world. We groan because of wickedness in the church. Wickedness in our own lives. We groan over the things that dishonor our God because we have the Holy Spirit within us. And listen, intuitively we know it shouldn't be this way. It wasn't this way before sin. And it won't be this way after Christ's return. And in the midst of its being this way, He has conquered it and He's making it all work for us. And if you don't know Him, in the midst of its being this way, He offers Himself to you. 
as a full and free and sufficient Savior. He never promises you to make life go the way you want it to go. But He promises to be with you through it all and to use it to transform you into the image of Christ and to finish that work, to forgive you of all of your sins and to accept you as righteous in His sight only because of Christ. See, we, we, we wait eagerly. Like, look back in verse 19. The creation waits with eager longing. Remember, I said it's on its tiptoes. It's looking for that day when the sons of God will be revealed, when the redemption of our bodies will take place, when creation will be glorified with us and set free from decay and death and sin. We wait eagerly also for that full redemption we have in ourselves those pains of childbirth that we talked about. We groan who have the first fruits of the Spirit and we wait for the redemption He has promised. God promised it. Look at this in 1 Corinthians 15, 51-57. Paul says, Behold, I tell you a mystery. We will not all sleep. In other words, we're not all going to die. That doesn't mean the people are presently living. They will be people alive when Jesus returns, right? And, and may it be tomorrow or today or now. Behold, I tell you a mystery. We shall not all sleep, but we shall all be changed. Look at this promise. In a moment, in a twinkling of an eye, at the last trumpet, return of Christ, the trumpet will sound and the dead will be raised imperishable. There it is the redemption of our bodies, and we will be changed if we're still alive. For this perishable body must put on imperishable and this mortal body must put on immortality. When the perishable puts on in the imperishable and the mortal puts on immortality, then shall come to pass the saying that is written, Death is swallowed up in victory. O death, where is your sting? Your victory, O death, where is your sting? The sting of death is sin and the power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God who gives us the victory through Christ Jesus, our Lord. See, now we groan. Now we groan, waiting eagerly for the adoption as sons. What does he mean? The redemption of our bodies. But that day is coming. If you pass from this life before Jesus returns, your spirit will go to be with Him and your spirit will be perfected. And then your body will wait in the grave until He returns. And when He returns, the dead in Christ will be raised first. And then those who are alive and remain will be caught up. And we'll always be together with Him. We groan now, but that groaning has a stopping point. And that's the redemption of our bodies, the return of Christ. So, because He's promised it and because He's proved it with His resurrection, we wait in hope. Look at verses 24 and 25. For in this hope we were saved. See, God told us all about our salvation in His Word from the point of salvation. And I, I'm sad if nobody taught you about the fullness of His redemption, but it's our jobs, what we're supposed to be doing. For in this hope we were saved. Now hope that is seen is not hope. So we don't see it yet. For who hopes for what he sees? But if we hope for what we do not see, what is that? We hope for the unseen. We hope for the things God has promised that are yet to happen. It says we wait for it in patience. So obviously we're trusting for it there, right? We're believing His Word. We're patiently waiting and seeking to live in the time that He's given us 
in a way that glorifies Him. To walk through the trials of life by faith in Him and be used as light and salt. I thank you. Praise God. He's our comforter, our strength, our redemption, our hope. But this thing we hope for, it is coming. This full redemption, this adoption that Paul is talking about, the completion of our salvation, it is as sure as the first coming of Christ was. Look what Paul, how many times, look at that, I I didn't count this, but over and over and over in these two verses, hope, 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 hope. How do we use the word hope? Kids, I remember when I was a kid, I hope I get that new bicycle for Christmas. Well, I was spoiled. I was spoiled as rotten eggs. I kind of knew I was going to get that bicycle, but anyway. We hope it happens. There's a lot of things we hope happen that never happen. There's a lot of things we hope don't happen that happen. But see, the Bible doesn't use the word hope. When it's talking about our blessed hope, when it's talking about this kind of hope, it's, it's talking about our hope for full redemption. And biblical hope is not a maybe so thing. It's not as though the outcome is in doubt. Listen to me. Biblical hope is this. Biblical hope is confident expectation that God will fulfill all His promises. That's what biblical hope is. A confident expectation that God will fulfill all of His promises. It's a sure waiting in the midst of difficulty. See, we live in the midst of difficulty. We live in the midst of times when we feel cold inside, right? We're prone to wonder. All of those things we sing. But He holds us fast. But biblical hope means a sure waiting. A sure waiting that's based on His Word, which is proved true by the life, death, burial, and resurrection of Christ. Biblical hope is a confident expectation that God will fulfill all of His promises. So far, how many of God's promises have failed? None. Zero. In the future, how many of God's promises will fail? That's weak. God says He will accomplish all of His purposes that His counsel will stand, that He will work out His purpose, and that we will all be at home with Him someday in the new heavens and the new earth where then there is no more grief, sorrow, sadness, or pain. And the resurrection of Christ proves it all to be true. All of His promises have come true and they will all come true. The resurrection is our confident assurance. So we wait in hope. And we wait patiently. We trust even through tears that because God has sacrificed His Son for us, He loves us. He will withhold no no good thing from us and He will finish the work that He's begun in us. The completion of our salvation is secure but the timing is God's. And as soon as somebody tells you they know when Christ is coming back, 
You don't know when he's coming back, but you know when he's probably not. That time they told you he was coming back. The completion of our salvation is sure, but the timing is God's. Emmanuel is with us now. And he will see us all the way home to the new body, to the redeemed body, to the new heavens and the new earth. See, like creation, we wait excitedly for the completion of our redemption. We wait patiently, some days more than others, right? We get our eyes off of His promises sometimes and just get our eyes on our circumstances and just wish it wasn't so and we kind of lose our patience sometimes. We are sort of letting go of Him at that point, but guess what? He's never letting go of us. And He'll use even that slipping back to grow us. And if we're His, He will call us back and comfort and assure us. We wait patiently. As we talked about the creation awaiting eagerly, it's revealed in, the, in, in talking about redeem, um, home renovation. You want to use that analogy as well. You can drop yourself in there. You are a home. You're part of this home renovation. God's the builder. All the materials have been purchased. The land has been purchased. And He is making you like His Son. You're not what you used to be, but you're not what you will be. You are in process, growing in grace by the work of His grace. You groan in the midst of the troubles of this life, but you groan, look back in verse 23. You groan inwardly as you wait eagerly. So as I just summarized it, we groan eagerly. And we're confident of it because of the hope He has given us in the Lord Jesus Christ who has died and paid the penalty for our sin, who has been through the grave defeating death for us, who has raised the third day, proved alive to all of His disciples, spent 40 days teaching them before He ascends into heaven, appeared to over 500 people at one time, predicted in the Old Testament, fulfilled in the life of Christ. This risen Savior has defeated death, sin, misery, for us. In this world you will have trouble, but be of good cheer. I have overcome it for you. So we wait in hope. We groan. We're real. We're not, auto, we don't, we're not automatons who don't feel any pain. We groan and look forward for the coming of that full redemption that's promised to us and proved to us in Christ. Grown well and wait well. Let's, let's apply this a few ways before we quit. Number one, the foundation of our hope is the resurrection of Jesus from the dead. You remember one of the qualifications for an apostle when they were trying to replace Judas is they had to be a witness of the resurrection. They had to have seen the risen Christ. And if you read through Acts, you'll see them going about reasoning from the Scriptures, proving that Jesus is the Christ and preaching His resurrection from the dead. And you see the church established. Listen, the resurrection is the foundation for everything. Without it, there is nothing. We are of most, all people most to be pitied if there is no resurrection, Paul said. Resurrection fuels the hope of the believer. We see that Christ has been raised and we know that we too will be raised. And this promise God has made to us of immortality and of eternal life and of, of new heavens and new earth, it's all coming true and it's proved by the resurrection. So that gives us hope in the midst of our suffering. 
The resurrection encourages and strengthens the believer. But listen to me, it confronts the unbeliever. The resurrection confronts the rebellion of the unbeliever. If you're sitting here or listening over the live stream or listening to the recording, if, you, if, you're, if you're denying Christ, here's the challenge. I have a challenge for you. Disprove the resurrection or submit to Christ. Disprove the resurrection or submit to Christ. People have tried for 2,000 years to disprove the resurrection and have failed. So I doubt you're going to succeed. People have been converted trying to disprove the resurrection. The historical evidence for the resurrection is overflowing if you don't use a double standard to get away with unbelief. Give it a shot. I mean, there were people in, in Christ's own disciples who didn't who said they wouldn't believe, right? How about Thomas? I won't believe unless I can stick my fingers in the wounds, basically. And then Christ appeared to him. Do you think he actually went through with that miserable experiment? No, no, no. He sucked marble. My Lord and my God. Listen, if you can't disprove the resurrection, your faith is a leap in the dark. You say, I don't have faith. Yes, you do. Yes, you do. Right now you have faith in yourself. Instead of in Christ. And I'm calling on you to repent and turn and trust in the Lord Jesus Christ. There's salvation in no other name. God's Son came to earth. Fullness of God, fullness of man in one person. The Lord Jesus Christ lived providing a perfect righteousness for His people. Died providing a perfect atonement as the Lamb of God. And was raised proving it all true. And listen to me, He's coming again. And when He comes again, it's going to be judgment. That's okay. Nothing encourages a preacher like screaming out, Amen or Yes. Listen to me. It'll be too late. If you pass from this world in unbelief, or if you're in unbelief when He comes, then you stand on your own two feet before Him. Have you kept His law in thought, word, and deed? No, He's coming. Are you ready? Are you ready? Not are you perfect? Are you ready? Are you trusting in Jesus? If your hope is in Jesus, you're ready. Look at, look at Acts 17.30. You say, I don't like this kind of preaching. Give me some of this easy stuff that will tell me three ways to get me a better marriage or whatever. Well, there's other people you can go to for that if that's what you want. But this is how the apostles preached. This is how Christ preached. Look at what Paul said in, the Acts, in Acts 17 after preaching, right? He's preaching on, to, the, to the unbelievers there. He said the times of ignorance God overlooked, but now he suggests that you might want to think about repenting. Look at it. He commands all people everywhere to repent, to turn from unbelief to faith, to turn from trust in self and going your own way, to trust in Christ and receiving Him. Look what He says. He commands every, everyone everywhere to repent because 
He has fixed a day on which He will judge the world in righteousness by a man whom He's appointed, Jesus. And of this He has given assurance to all by raising Him from the dead. See, another thing the resurrection proves is that judgment is coming. And His people are ready. If we're trusting in Him by His grace, I didn't ask you if you had a perfect faith. Are you trusting in Jesus this morning? If you're trusting in Jesus, you're ready. But if you're not trusting in Jesus, you are not ready. And you're not going to be judged based on your feelings. You're going to be judged based on facts. He'll judge the world. Look what it says. In righteousness, He will compare us to His commands to see if we've had other gods and dishonored His name, to see if we've looked on others with lust and lied and stolen, to see if if we've been content in Him or discontent just wanting all of the stuff of this world. Are you ready for this Savior to return so that you will experience the redemption of your body? The resurrection comforts the believer, but it challenges the unbeliever. And that just leads into number two. The fulfillment of our hope is the return of Christ. That's what we're waiting on, the glorious appearing, right? The second time. Just as He came the first time, He will come again. And when He does, those trusting Him, for God so loved the world, Or really it should be God loved the world in this way that He gave His only begotten Son that whosoever believes into, literally believes into Him shall not perish but have everlasting life. Whoever adheres to Him and trusts in Him and hopes in Him who who has prayed like the tax collector, not these exact words, but God be merciful to me a sinner. I have no hope in myself. I see my sin. Have mercy on me in Christ. Those trusting in Him will be like Him when He returns. But His return also challenges those of us who don't believe in Him. You will see Him one day. You will stand before Him one day. You will give an answer. And I hope your answer is Christ and Christ alone. Not, didn't I do this or didn't I do that or they were worse than I am. Or uh, You can always bring up Hitler. You know, I guess he's everybody's whipping boy. But God's not going to compare you to Hitler. Are you trusting in Christ this morning? The fulfillment of our hope is His return. And last, the patience of our hope. See, the promises of Jesus Christ to us while we live in between the two, His resurrection and His return, His promises work in us a biblical hope so that we are trusting His promises to come true and therefore we have patience to wait on them because we know He's sovereign, because He know He's at work. See, there are people all over this globe who belong to Jesus who hadn't come to faith in Him yet. And He will get the gospel to every single one of them and bring them to faith. So now, see, we trust His promises since none has ever failed and none will ever fail. We wait confidently in the midst of the trials of life knowing that every trial must work for us, not against us. I hope you're working on memorizing Heidelberg 
question one. That's one of the things that says that now everything must work for me. Why? Because not everything in and of itself is good and not everything in and of itself is easy, but He's with us through the midst of it and He promises to make it all work for us in that it all makes us more like Jesus. Listen, we are far better off having the trials that we have than if those things never happened. That's a difficult one, isn't it? I mean, we've argued with Paul sometimes when he says in Ephesians 5.20, I think, give thanks for everything. Give thanks for the stuff that you like and you're glad it happened. Yes, but there's more. Give thanks for the stuff that you don't like and wish it had never happened. Because God is working it out for good, for His glory, His church's good, and your good to shape you into the image of Christ. We'll quickly run into the end of our minds trying to figure all this stuff out on our own. And I know there are a lot of things that come into our lives that we wish never did. And I know it's hard to get to the place where we can say, thank you. I don't know how you're going to work all this out. And I don't need to know. Because I I see Christ and His sacrifice for me, His death burial, and His resurrection, which gives me hope that your promises are true, that somehow this thing is going to make me more like Jesus. So therefore, somehow this thing makes being in my life, it's better that that it's here than if it wasn't. See, God doesn't cause people to do evil things, and He doesn't cause people to do evil things to us. But He has decreed all that comes to pass. And He's taking everything to the glory, His glory in the Father, through the Son, by the Spirit. And we're going to go all the way home in the new heavens and the new earth. And even then, we'll have a better perspective then. But I, I really don't think we're going to do a whole lot of looking back other than to glory in what He's done in us because we're going to be face forward with Him at that point. Now we trust in His promises. We wait confidently. We can give Him thanks for all things because as R.C. says, there's not a maverick molecule in the universe. We can, listen, this is the only way. Think about the verses like James 1, 2. Count it all joy when you fall into various trials. And don't tame that word trials. That's tribulation. That's trouble. That's hardship. Paul says in, in, in Romans 5, we've already seen it in our study, we rejoice in our suffering. Why? Because we're weird and we like to hurt? No. We rejoice in our suffering because God promises to use it as a chisel in His hand to chisel away the things that don't, don't look like Jesus. So... Through my tears, I can look to Him and thank Him for everything and trust Him. We want to trust Him with everything, but we don't want to thank Him with it for everything, do we? We're weird people. We groan because we yearn for this fullness of redemption. Give thanks for every hardship He takes you through. Hope in Him. Your redemption draweth nigh. He's with you in the darkness of the trials of life, working for you to make you like Jesus. Charles Spurgeon said this, Hope itself is like a star, not to be seen in the sunshine of prosperity, but only to be discovered in the night of adversity. 
in the midst of our present groaning, we have great hope. Resurrection is coming. New body, new heavens, new earth, fullness of joy, satisfaction, peace like we've never experienced. You will have new eyes with which to behold the beauty of the Lord. You will have new ears to hear the Lord with joy and joyful obedience. You'll have new mouths to speak praise and thanksgiving to our, to our God. Everything in that day, in the new heavens and the new earth, everything that is you will reverberate with love of God and fuel joyful service and total enjoyment of Him. Everything about you will reverberate with love of God. It will fuel, therefore, joyful service. And you'll be dwelling in a sense of total enjoyment of your gracious Savior God forever. Then the law will be fulfilled in us. We will perfectly love God with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength. We will perfectly love our neighbor as ourselves, even as Christ has loved us. And we'll do it all out of love for this gracious God who has saved us. Christian, your salvation is not complete yet. Stop trying to live as though it is. There is more to come. But in the midst of the miseries of life in this fallen world, be real, groan, yearn for more, groan in hope because more is coming. Trust Him that He will be with you all the way through this life. Trust that He's given you everything necessary for life and godliness through knowing Jesus, through knowing His Word, and that He will take you all the way home. Live a joyful, kingdom-productive life here and now as you eagerly wait in hope for future glory. It's as sure as the last breath you took that Jesus is coming again. And that He will finish the work that He has begun in you. Groan eagerly as you wait patiently for all His promises to come true. I've read this before, but I'll read it again as I close. Just a summary of what we look forward to. Revelation 21, 3 and 4. I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them and they will be His people and God Himself will be with them as their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes, and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore. For the former things have passed away. Look forward in faith to the coming of that day, and groan eagerly as you wait for the completion of your redemption. To live is Christ. Lord, we praise you. Lord Jesus, we thank you that you are a faithful prophet, that you speak truth to us about this world. You speak truth to us about your salvation that you are working in us, that you are with us and for us. You're not against us. And that you're working in us that we might be more like you and we can look forward and groan well and be productive kingdom citizens while we're left here to love you, to glorify you, 
and enjoy you. I pray for those that I've challenged this morning that don't know you. I, I pray that they will see that that comes from a place of love and desire that they might be saved, that they might be reconciled to you, that they might come to know you and have peace, not just for this life, but for the one to come. And I pray for us who do know you that we'd get a bigger picture of who you are, a bigger picture of life in this world, a bigger picture of the mission that you brought to us and reconciled us through the gospel of your son and that you will work through us to see others come to faith in your son. Thank you for future grace. Thank you for a hope. Thank you for the knowledge that you're not done with us yet. That this is far from as good as it gets. I mean, it is as good as it gets for the unbeliever, but for your child, this is as bad as it gets. We look forward in hope to your return, Lord Jesus. Even to say, come, Lord Jesus. Help us to love you, to trust you, to live for you, to encourage one another in the faith, and to walk arm in arm for your gospel. This good news of this glory to come that will so dwarf our suffering that it will disappear in the background as we are enthralled with you in your grace. Bless us, Lord. Save us and sanctify us. We look to you and pray and ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.